First Timothy chapter 1 is where we're at. Uh, we're not going to be going uh, verse by verse through First Timothy, but we are going to cover uh, kind of the main parts of, of this book over the next, uh, I don't know how long, couple months. And so uh, what I'd like to do is begin in chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3. I think I'm going to go ahead and read all the way through verse 11, because we're going to touch just on, just, just a, a bit on verses 8 through 11. So First, first Timothy chapter uh, 1. And then verses uh, 3 through 11. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to have any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that's by faith. Verse 5 is where we're going to camp out, so pay special attention to that. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, Men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it does in our lives. God, that it it transforms us and changes us and makes us more like Jesus. And Father, we pray that that process, that work, that glorious um, sanctification would be happening in us today. And Father, we pray that you'd use your word, that your spirit would teach us, God, that you'd draw us together, uh, show us Jesus this morning. Father, we ask it in your name. Amen. The Apostle Paul was a guy who believed in Christ-centered relationships. You've heard me say that a few more times than one uh, here at Lincoln Avenue. Uh, Paul was a guy who everywhere he went, he considered it his ministry to build friendships that centered around Christ Friendships in which one man was speaking the word of God into another man's life, where they were encouraging each other in faith, kind of walking the spiritual journey together. Well, one of those guys in Paul's life's name was Timothy. He was a younger guy than Paul. Uh, I can imagine that at some point in in, in the history there, Paul and Timothy met at Dairy Queen or Arby's or wherever, whatever they had at that time. And they may have probably met there maybe once a week, twice a week, maybe once a day, I don't know, for maybe a couple years. And Paul's just speaking God's truth into Timothy. He's encouraging Timothy. He's building up Timothy in the faith. And at some point, Paul recognizes that, man, Timothy, you, you, you're ready. You're ready to, to branch out and, and do the work of the kingdom on your own. And so Paul sends Timothy to a town called Ephesus, okay? So that's where Timothy is right now. He's in Ephesus. He's, uh, he's serving somewhat as a pastor, probably. I don't know if they would have exactly called it that, but, but like a pastor, a leader, an elder in this church. And the church has got some problems. Now, let me tell you how, why I know the church has some problems. Because in verse 3, when Paul writes this letter to Timothy, one of the first things he says, he says, As I urge you when I was at going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus 
that you may, and then he tells him what to do. Okay, now anytime you got to tell a pastor to stay in his church, you know that there's probably not some good things going on. It's probably kind of hard. Uh, he may want to leave. He may want to get out of there. He may be, in a, may be attacked, or maybe people are, are disagreeing with him, or there, there's strife or conflict, or we're, we're not sure what it is. But, but we know that, that, that things are not real great in Ephesus. Now, interesting thing about that. We were just in the book of Acts, remember? And about a month ago, uh, we, we did three sermons in a row on Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. I don't know if you remember that, but, uh, but basically Paul was going to Rome. He stops at Miletus. Uh, the Ephesian leaders come down and Paul preaches three, or we did, we did three sermons. Paul preaches an address to them. And in that address, one of the things he tells them is you guys got to be careful because at some point there may be people that come into this church who begin to teach things different than what's in the Bible. And they begin to pull their focus away from right doctrine and truth from the Bible. And they begin to focus on other things. And you've got to be really careful about that. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Uh, Paul left. The Ephesian elders go back. I don't know how many years go by. But, but people come in. And notice what, what's happening here that Paul wants Timothy to put a stop to. He says, I urge you, verse 3, when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that's by faith. Now, we're not exactly sure what was being taught here that Paul was upset about, but we know this, that whatever was being taught it was producing something that God did not want produced, okay? Does that make sense? What was being produced was speculations. You know what speculations are, right? That's when, that's when I say, well, I think this. And Lloyd says, well, I think this. And Don says, well, I think this. And Peggy says, well, I, you know, when Peggy speaks, it's over. I think this, you know? And, and so we're all just, you know, going guessing. And, you know, I think that, you know, that, that's what's happening, okay? And so, the, so there's this, this myths and genealogies and this speculation. I mean, that's what, that's what this teaching is producing. And, and Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that's not what the Bible is to produce in us. Now, now, now here's, here's the cool thing that Paul does. Paul, in verse 5, tells Timothy very certainly, here's what should be happening in the church, okay? In verse 5, he says, the aim of our charge is love, okay? The aim means the goal or the end, the, the, what, what we're to produce. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what should be happening as the Word of God is preached and taught and read and studied and small grouped in, in, in ministry, okay? It should be producing love. Now, now, you know what? There's lots of things today. There's all, all kinds of times people will say, Hey, Pastor, why don't you ever preach on this? Or why don't, why don't we do a study on this? Or why don't you read this book? Or why don't we do this? You know, and, and, and most of the time, if, if I'm not really excited about it, the reason is, is that I'm not convinced in my mind that, that, that studying that, believing that, digging into that is going to produce what God intends to be produced in our church. Does that make sense? You know, I've seen churches that do a 10-week study on the book of Revelation, trying to figure out where, who, who Gog and Magog are in, in the book of Revelation. You ever read of the book of Revelation? There's these two, two countries called Gog and Magog. You know, there's churches that will spend, you know, 10 weeks trying to figure out what countries are those. You know, here, here's, here's my deal about that. Let's just say, I doubt this would happen, but let's just say we figured it out. You know, we figured it out. It was Papua New Guinea and Czechoslovakia, you know. Okay, great. How does that help me glorify Jesus? 
How, how, does that, how does that help me love my wife like Christ loves the church? How does that help me teach my kids to be pure? How does that help me love my brother and forgive my enemy? How does that help me get the gospel? I, I don't know that it does. You, know, you see what I'm saying? I, I, mean, I mean, basically what would happen in that kind of study is, is we'd all give our speculations. We'd all give our opinions. We'd all, we'd all hammer it out and argue it and, and read U.S. News and World Report and Time Magazine. And, and, and we'd have this great, I guess great, some people think so, you know, discussion, hashing out this stuff. But would it produce anything in our life? Probably not. Does that make sense? And there's all kinds of books now that are being marketed by Christian companies that, that are just that. I mean, they really, they don't really produce what they're supposed to produce in our lives. And, and so Paul says here to Timothy, verse 5, the aim of our charge, aim mean goal, mean end, the, the, the end product of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. We had a great conference Friday and Saturday. Just, just, I mean, man, I'm telling you, one of the best things I think we've done here at the church. Just outstanding. Josh Bullard came. We spent Friday night, Saturday morning talking about how, how do we, how do we, how do we raise up students who are sexually pure? Man, it was so good. Uh, just, man, I just really, I, I'd heard it before too, but I mean, just outstanding, just, just principles of sexual purity and principles of, uh, of marriage and, and of teaching children, man, just outstanding, outstanding. Here's the way Josh Bullard started that conference Friday night. He said, all right, I want you parents. He said, I want you to think about, think about what do you want the end product to be? Okay. In other words, you know, think, what kind of kid do you want to raise? Okay, what, what do you want? When, when, when you're done with this process, what do you want your child to, to be? That's a great question, isn't it? You know, what, what does sexual purity mean? What, what, what do we talk about? You know, what, what, what are we thinking about in our mind? And, and then once you have the end product, then you, then you know what you can do? You can go back and say, okay, if we want that, then here's what we got to do, right? To get there. But see, you got to figure out what you want first. I do this all the time in, in, in premarital counseling. I'll have the couple sit down and, and we'll have a, the first day we do a goal sheet. At the, end of, at the end of our time, we do a goal sheet. It has stuff about their family, their, their marriage, if they have kids someday, their finances, their occupation. And we, we just say, I say, okay, tell me, what do you want your family to look like in five years? What do you want to look like in 10 years? What do you want to look like in 20 years? What do you want your finances to look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years? What do you want your relationship with your wife to look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years? All right, if we have that end goal in mind, now we know the process to get there, right? I mean, that, that's a simple procedure. We understand that. Every factory understands that. You know what a factory doesn't do? They don't say, hey, let's put a whole bunch of stuff in a pot, heat it up, pour it out, and see what we got. You know, they don't do that, do they? They have something in mind that they intend to produce. And because of that, they have a process that very specifically and intentionally produces that product. Larry just went to the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky a couple months ago. Uh, if you'll notice, he comes back and he's got a Corvette now. Have you noticed that? I mean, so it was good. He was telling me about that. Assembly line. You know what never happens at the Corvette Museum? What never happens is, as you're watching those cars come off the assembly line, you don't say, wow, Corvette. Wow, Corvette. Wow, Kia. No, that doesn't ever happen, does it? You know? You know, you never, never Corvette, Corvette, Jeep. You know, that doesn't happen. You know why? Because the process is specifically, intentionally made to produce a Corvette. And so that's what comes out at the end, right? Okay, now here's what, here's what Paul is saying. Verse 5, the aim of our charge is love. 
the goal, the end product, what, what we want to produce by our preaching and our teaching and our small groups and our team kid ministry and, and our Bible studies and our joy ministry and our worship times and our musicians and everything we do at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, the goal, the end product of that is love, that people would love God and that they would love others. That's what is intended, okay? What should have happened over the last 25 weeks as we opened up our Bible and said, we want to study the book of Acts. We, we want to understand the history book of the New Testament. We want to understand how God has worked in the world. You know what should have happened in us? We should love God more now. We should have a bigger view of God and we should have a better love for our neighbor than we did before. If that, if that didn't happen, then we failed. We failed. You know, I did what, whatever was supposed to happen in your life didn't happen because that's what should happen. We, we love, love that's based on a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Folks, that's what we want to happen in our small groups. You know, here in September, we're going to get together in the evenings and you're going to go to somebody's house. Hopefully you will anyway. And you're going to eat some food and you're going to build some friendships and you're going to have a spiritual conversation. You're going to talk about the word of God. And you know what we want to happen through that? We want you to come to love God more and to love your neighbor better. We want you to love your wife better. You love your husband better. Love your kids better. More biblical love. That's what we want to happen. We don't want you just to gain weight for the winter eating all that small group food. We want love to be produced in you. That is the goal. Kenny and Bonnie's group. That is the goal. That group gets confused sometimes. It's like, it's like Golden Corral and, and Ryan's Buffet and JB's all rolled into one. They're a small group. Why is that important? Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says this. Beloved, let us love one another. Did you hear that? Let us love one another. For love is from God. Man, this, this, is, this is sharp here. Are you ready? Take this to heart. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Hear that? That's serious, isn't it? Why? Look at the last part. Because God is love. God defines love. Okay? The process of the Christian life is meant to make you like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans eight twenty nine says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God, God plans to make you more and more like Jesus. And what that means, because God is love, is that you will be more loving. Let me tell you, people, if you've been in a church for many years, if you've been studying your Bible for many years, if you've been in a small group, if you've been in a Sunday school class, if you've grappled with the word of God and you don't love God more and you don't love others better than you did before, something is tragically wrong. Okay. The process is, is messed up. Okay. Because the process should be producing someone you, who, who, if you're a believer, who loves God and who loves others. Now, what is that going to look like? Let's talk about love just for a second here. Love, love is, love is it, it, here's my definition, is willfully putting the needs of others above our own, okay? And the Bible is very clear about that. Whenever it talks about love, what you see in the Bible is sacrifice. What you see is investment in others. What you see is, is uh, uh, willfully meeting the needs of others. Let me give you some examples. Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives. Okay, how, what does that look like? 
Jason, what does that look like? Husbands? Well, look at the verse. As Christ has loved the church and he gave himself up for her. You see, the the example that's lifted up for us is what does it mean to love your wife? It means that you sacrifice for her. It means that you, you, you meet that need, the deepest needs of her life. It means that you give of yourself unto her. You, 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 you're willing to give your very self for her, okay? Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, another great verse on love. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the picture of love in the Bible. You see, there, there, there's something in our society that we've so cheesed up love that whenever I come in here and say, All right, church, the, the, the aim of what we do as a church is to produce people who love God and love others. There's probably some guys in the room that are like, oh, that's our goal, you know, love God, love others. You know why? Because in our culture, when you think of love, what do you think of? You think of, you know, goofy people making goofy faces at each other, licking an ice cream cone together, holding pinkies, you know, singing, singing a little song and reciting a poem, you know, and all the guys in the room are like, really, that, that's the purpose of my life is that, you know? Uh, lick a sucker with somebody, you know, I mean, really? I mean, that uh, soft music and goofy looks. You know what? That's not biblical love, okay? As, as you read through your Bible, read it cover to cover, and as you see the pictures of love that are put forth for, the, for you, they are pictures of courage and valor and sacrifice and blood and sweat and tears. The picture of love in the Bible is Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. Over and over the Bible, every time it talks about love, it brings us back to the cross. And so instead of seeing, you know, two teenagers with starry eyes and, and an ice cream cone and, and a movie, what you ought to see is Jesus man and shredded with his back torn apart, being slammed on the cross and nailed there and hung up to die a torturous six-hour death so that you don't have to bear the wrath of God. He met the greatest need of your life. That's love, friends. You know, whenever you think about love, that's what it is. That's what it is. That's what God's calling us to. And so love is to be in the trenches for somebody. Love is to relentlessly put to death the sin in our life so that we can meet the needs of others. Love is hard. It's grueling. It's unity bringing. It's leadership building. It's tenacious. It's pursuing what is right. It's pursuing relationships and forgiveness and reconciliation. It's doing really hard work to care for people. It's being responsible for others. We spent nine, ten weeks this summer with our men saying, all right, guys, let's look at the Bible. What does it mean to be a biblical man? What it means is we take responsibility. We we take responsibility for others. We take responsibility for the kingdom. We take responsibility to lead and to initiate. And, And that all comes about through love. Through this kind of love, this kind of sacrificial giving of ourselves to others. You know, it's interesting in the Bible in Romans chapter 13. It says this, Romans chapter 13 verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know know what that says? It says that love is a fulfillment of everything God's ever commanded. Everything God has ever commanded. I lost my tie. Where did that go? Anybody see a tie? I had one when I came in here. That's weird. Does anybody have one on? Yeah, that's why I brought one. I brought one to all the other services. Huh? It's amazing if somebody would steal a tie in church. Okay, well, 
We just have to use our imagination. Come on up here, Dave. All right. Um, now, now why, why am I talking about this? Okay, so Romans 13, love fulfills the law. Now, the reason I want to I bring this to your attention is because if we keep reading here in First Timothy, notice verse 7. He's talking about these guys, they're, um, what they're teaching. And he says, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good one, if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the... So anyway, he starts talking about the law, okay? So here, here's what I believe. Whatever these guys were teaching, it was something to do with finding your righteousness in, in law, in rules, okay? All right, so Dave, come up here. All right, let's, let's just picture Dave. All right, so here's Dave. Now let's just put our imaginary, because we don't have the real one. It's gone. Put, it, put our imaginary tie on David, okay? Now he's got a tie on, okay? In the tradition that I grew up in, which is Holderman Mennonite, okay? In Holderman Mennonite tradition, um, wearing a tie is no good, okay? Because they, they believe it's flashy, it's prideful. And so part of being a good Mennonite, part of being righteous, part of being an okay standing with the church is that you don't wear a tie, okay? So I, I, I wish we had the tie here. You have to use your imagination. So here's what it would be. David without a tie, righteous. David with a tie, ee, no good. You know, you see what I'm saying? He takes the tie off. All of a sudden he's more righteous than he was before, Okay. Now, if, if that's your system of, of theology, can you imagine the endless speculations that that would create? You, you know what I'm saying? I remember one conference they had, that they had a big conference. They spent almost the whole time talking about white walls or no white walls, okay? I mean, really, really. You know, I mean, when you, when you begin to, when you begin to, do, thanks, Dave. Sorry, I didn't have a real one for you. Um, I don't know where that's at. Do you see what I'm saying? If that's where your righteousness lies, is, is in what, what you do, you know, and, and going through all the motions, okay? Now, where does righteousness come from? It comes from the heart. Jesus changed heart. Now, now does sometimes does that manifest itself in other things? Well, sure. I agree. Clothes, maybe, yeah. I mean, if I was up here in, in a real tight tank top, you know, and as I'm preaching every once in a while, like, go like this, you know, and go like this, you know. What, what, would you, what would you say? You'd say, that guy's got a heart problem, doesn't he? I mean, he's trying, he's trying to exalt himself and not Jesus. And that has manifested in the way that I dress, okay? So I, I, I agree. You know, some of you are saying, well, it does matter. I agree it matters. But do you, do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's not the issue. The issue is your heart, Okay. The, the issue is loving God and loving others, and that, that works out the rest of it, okay? And so I, I think that's why he goes on to talk about the law. He said that's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is not to bring righteousness. The purpose of the law is to convict people of sin. It's convicting them that, that they're off track, that they don't know God, that they don't know his standard, okay? So the end product that should be being produced in our life is love. Now, some, I know what some of you are going to say. You say, well, man, okay, I'm already there. Love God? Yep. Love neighbor? Yep. Hey, let me tell you, you don't love God as you ought to love God, and you don't love your neighbor as you ought to love your neighbor. You know why? Because I see in the Bible a persistent theme of the Bible telling us wherever you're at in that loving God and loving neighbor, you need to be more, okay? Let me, let me show you some verses. Philippians 1, 9. It says, my prayer that, you love, that your love may abound more and more. Okay, he's talking to believers, but he tells, says, it's my prayer that your love would abound more and more. 1 Thessalonians chapter um, 3, verse 12. And he says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Interesting thing. He's talking to the Thessalonians here. 
at the very beginning of the book in verse 3, he says, I remember before God your, your work of faith and your labor of love. These guys are already loving each other. But he says in chapter 3, verse 12, it's my prayer that, that the Lord would make you increase and abound in love. Chapter 4, just stay in 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, verse 9. He says, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. You already know to love one another. You're already doing it. Look what he says next, verse 10. For that indeed is what you're already doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But I urge you, brothers, do this more and more. You see what I'm saying? I mean, you, you don't ever get, you don't ever arrive. Why? Because God is love. And so you're never going to reach the standard of God, okay? No, nobody ever is like, I am, I am, me and God, we're the same. We love the same. No, you don't, you know? You need to love more and more. I mean, th- this is the aim. This is the end product. It's not knowledge, not showing up to our deal. It's not agreement. It's not, it's love, okay? Now, now, how does this work in our lives, okay? Let, let's talk about that for a second. The end goal of our ministry is that we love God and we love others, okay? Now, how does this work in our, in, our, in our ministry? Well, three things, and we only have time to talk about two, okay? First one is a pure heart. Look in verse 5. It says, the aim or the goal, the end of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, okay? Now, what's a pure heart? Well, in the Bible, pure, pure is used a couple different ways. Number one, it's used to be, to be uh, free from contaminants. In other words, one thing, okay? Right now, there is one thing in this bottle, water. Okay, that's all that's in there. So we call that pure, because that's all that's in there. Now, if I let Haven take a drink of this, it's going to be impure. You know why it's going to be impure? Because I'm going to hold it back up, and there's going to be cheese cracker in there, and there's going to be Pop-Tart, and there's going to be Fruit Loops, and there's a Fruity Pebble. Whoa, hot dog from last night. How did that, you know? I mean, that's, you know, little pieces of stuff floating around in there. It, it's not one thing anymore. Now it's a whole bunch of things, okay? So it's not pure. And that's kind of the way the Bible uses the word Pure. And the Bible talks about a pure heart being a heart that is pursuing and desiring and yielded to one thing. Let me give you some examples. Psalm 27, 4 says this. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What's he saying there? Man, there's one driving passion of my life. It's God. Let me show you another one. Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Wow, what's the psalmist saying? He said, I've got one driving passion in my life, and it's God. Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. There's one thing. There's one thing I'm driving after. It's God. It's a singleness of devotion. You're saying, Pastor, is that even possible? I mean, we 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 can't stay in church all day. No, you shouldn't. You need, you need to go do your business. But you can do your business with one driving passion in your life. Can't we? That, that's true, right? Let me ask you. Can I, can I love Emma well? Can I take her out on a date and, 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 and visit with her and help her with her school stuff? Can I do that while I am loving God with all my heart? You, I will do that if I love God with all my heart. If I love God with all my heart, he's going to lead me to love my wife. He's going he's to lead me to minister to my wife. In fact, loving my wife is a way that I love God. If, if I have one driving passion in my life, am I going to play catch with my son in the front yard? You better believe it. You know why? Because one of the ways that, that I love God is by building a relationship with my son where, where, where I impute or impart, I'm sorry, impart spiritual principles into his life. And so one of the ways I do that is by throwing the ball around the front yard with, with my son, asking him about his day, building a relationship with him. Yeah, that, 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 it's consistent, okay? 
So the scriptures reveal to us as we read the Bible. Here's what, here's what Paul wants to happen. Timothy, as you preach the Bible, people are going to see the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. They're going to see the glory of Jesus Christ. They're going to see that Jesus is everything that they need, that he eclipses every other thing. And the result of that is going to be a pure heart. The result of that is a heart that says, I want one thing and it's Jesus. And as, as I love Jesus, I'm going to do a good job at my work. And as I love Jesus, I'm going to love my family. And as I love Jesus, I, I, I'm going to live a pure life. My love for Jesus is the thing that's in my heart. My heart's not running after 10 things. You see, a lot of people, their heart runs after 10 things. They're like, yeah, I want to run after God, but oh man, I also want to run after money. And oh yeah, I also want to run after recreation. I also want to run after this and that and this. And all these other things are going to meet my needs. No, a pure heart is a heart that says, no, I need one thing. I need God. You know what the root of all sin is? The root of all sin is idolatry. It's putting things before God. It's running after things. It's trusting things and giving yourself to things other than God. And you know what that's called? It's called sin. And, and so Paul's word to Timothy is, Timothy, you, you got to aim. Give the scriptures to people so they'll produce a pure heart. What does that mean? It'll get the sin out of their life. Okay? Because when you've got pride in your life, it cripples your ability to put others before yourself. Pride cripples your ability to love your church family. If you're prideful, you can't love these people. You know why? Because you're going to get in the way of that. You can't give yourself. You can't be patient. You, 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 you can't be forgiving. If you've got anger in your heart, then that's going to hamstring you from showing kindness and affection. If you've got unforgiveness, you're not going to be able to sacrifice. You're not going to be able to bless people. So the word of God targets those things in your life to give you a pure heart, okay? So what's the goal? The aim of our charge? It's love. Loving God and loving others. How do, how do, how do we come about that? We come about that, number one, by a pure heart. Number two, by a good conscience. Okay, now we're gonna spend the rest of our time talking about conscience because conscience is not something we talk about a lot, but it's really important, okay? Your conscience is the mechanism that God has placed in you. I, I believe in everybody, Okay? Now, when you get saved, that, 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 that helps your, your conscience work, okay? It helps it run. But people have a conscience before that. Everybody has a conscience, okay? The conscience is the mechanism inside of you that, that says, yes, this is right. No, this is wrong, okay? It, it's an alarm that goes off whenever you do the wrong thing, okay? Now, when your conscience is running right, right how, do, how do you know it's running right? When it's running according to the Word of God. When, you, when you're loving God with all your heart, when, you, when you're yielded to God and the Word of God's coming into your life, the Word of God is shaping your conscience. It's showing you these things are wrong. These things are right. This is what you should be. This is what you shouldn't be. The Word of God does that for us, okay? And so when your conscience is running right, you know, you know the great thing? You can't be a jerk to your wife. I mean, that's awesome. When, when your conscience is running on all eight cylinders, you can't get, get, be a jerk to your wife. You know why? Because you get mad, you say something harsh. You know what happens? Your conscience kicks in. And man, it, it just grabs you by the throat, you know? And, it, and it's condemning you and it's scolding you and it's reminding you of Christ and your calling and of your salvation and of God's promises. And it literally sits on your chest like a hundred pound weight until you get right. Man, that's a good thing, isn't it? Anybody experience that? You know what I'm talking about? You know, maybe you got resentment in your life. Maybe you got unforgiveness. You know what? Your conscience ought to kick in and it ought to kick in. And, and as you try to stay angry, you know, there's times pe people have to try to stay angry. They do. You know, they, they have to review. They have to call those things back up in their mind and review them and play the tape over. I can't believe what they did to me. I can't believe what they said to me. I can't believe how that happened. And you begin to review that and review that. You know what, you know what your conscience should be doing? Man, it's kicking in all the time and saying, no, you can't stay there. You know what it feels for me? The way it feels for me sometimes is like a dark cloud just comes over me. Man, it just settles on me. And then pretty soon, 
I'm just so tired of being in the dark that I crave the sunshine of being right with God. And I, so I, I got to get right because my conscience has just put this cloud over me. Your conscience won't let you lie, won't let you steal, won't let you lust. It won't let you cheat. It's relentless. And you, you can't get away from its condemnation. Every time you do wrong, it is right there to, to press against you. Friends, that's a gift from God. It's a gift from God that is sharpened by the word of God. The more you give yourself to the Bible, the sharper your conscience becomes, the quicker it kicks in, the more accurate it is. But you know what happens? Some people damage their conscience. When you begin to damage your conscience, man... You, you, begin to, you begin to ruin your ability to love God and love others. First, first Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Listen. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You know what it is to sear something? You burn it till you scar it. There's no more nerves. You don't feel anything there. So it is to sear. Some people do that to their conscience. The alarms go off and you know what they do? They ignore them. The alarms go off and they, they know it's God. They know it's their conscience. They know it's right. But, but, but they resist it. They buck up against it. They make excuses. And pretty soon, the alarms aren't as loud anymore. A couple weeks ago, I was driving my little white car, my Yaris. Light comes on. Maintenance required. I almost stopped. I mean, I almost stopped. What does that light mean? I mean, maintenance required. I wish they'd be more specific, wouldn't you? You know what I mean? Does that mean my windshield's dirty or does that mean my engine's going to blow up? You know, which is it? That's all maintenance. So I, I don't know. But I was in a hurry and so I didn't, I didn't stop. I went and got where I was going and went back home. A couple days later, I just forgot about it. And a couple days later, I got back in it. There's that yellow light again. I was like, ah, I, need, I need to figure out what that is. But I didn't have time. So I, I went on and I drove it yesterday. It was on. It didn't even bother me at all. I didn't even tend to stop. I thought, well, if it's lasted a week or two, it's surely not that bad, you know. Probably some stupid emissions thing, like I'm putting out too much smog. I don't care about that, you know. People do that to their conscience. Let me, let me show you how it works out. Somebody be in a broken relationship. Conscience goes off. You need to forgive. You need to forgive. You need to reconcile. You need to make it right. Weight on their chest. You know what people do sometimes? No. 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 I don't care. I, you sit on my chest. I'm not, I'm not forgiving. I'm not reconciling. I'm not making it right. You know the scary thing about that? Is the more you do that, the more you increase your ability to live in sin. To live with an ugly heart. That's a dangerous thing, my friends. It's interesting in 1 Timothy 4. You still get the context there. It says, Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. What should happen when you lie? When you lie, an alarm should go off in your head. I, I wish I could remember the specific circumstances, but I can't. But sometime in the last couple of months, I was in a conversation with a group of people. And I was asked a question, and when I answered, I just answered kind of off the cuff. And when I answered, I, I exaggerated. I, I don't even remember what it was. Uh, I'm trying to think, maybe it was how many people we run. It, it seems like it was about the church, or maybe like, I don't, I don't know what it was. But, it, but, but I just remember when I answered, you know how you'll sometimes you'll shoot high, you know? It's like, you know, you'll shoot for the best case scenario. And I think that's what I did. 
As soon as I said it, off of my mind, man, you exaggerated. You exaggerated. You exaggerated. That wasn't right. That was not accurate. Okay? Here's the bad thing. The conversation just quickly went to something else, like there was a group of people. So I'm sitting here, and they're all talking about something else. They've moved on. I got this alarm screaming in my head, you know? So I kind of got to break back into the conversation, you know? I got to break back uh, you, you, you know what we are talking about? You know, now that I think about it, I, I think it's more like this, you know? But, but did you notice? Let me read it again. It says, through, through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared. You, you know what happens with some people? With, with some people, they lie and, and they just suppress it. And they justify it. And they make excuses for it. And they lie again. And they suppress it. And they justify it. And they make excuses. And they lie again. And they suppress it. And they, ju- they lie again. And they lie again. And they lie again. I'll tell you what. Frightening thing to me. Frightening. Frightening. Ed Maryland probably remember this. A Co- couple years back, we had a student in our, our team kid ministry. Guys, I, I swear, it's the weirdest thing I ever saw. I, I don't think he knew when he was lying. I mean, literally, he lied. He lied so naturally. I, I mean, just, and about stuff he didn't need to lie about. But, but he had lied so much that he had no alarms would go off. Nothing would trigger. I, I mean, I don't know that for sure because I'm not inside his head. But, but, but I, I mean, he, he, was, he was to the point where he just lied by nature. That's frightening. Because you know what? When you don't have a good conscience, you can't love God and you can't love others. It's not going to work right. And don't damage your conscience. You got this precious thing that God's given you. Don't don't damage it. I, I was I was thinking about conscious funny thing. Let me just tell you some stories. Um, I was little, uh, probably fourth fifth grade. Um, I, I was pretty tender. I think I, I think I had my conscience was pretty tender, and I wasn't a Christian yet, but I, I had a sensitive conscience. My mom and dad pretty, taught me pretty well, and and I remember I had asked for a certain cassette tape. You know, some of you kids, you don't know what that is. It's like, a, it's like an MP3 player, like 20 times the size of it, you know, and it goes on your belt and you have like a earphones. Anyway, it was a Walkman is what they were called. And so I asked, I asked for this tape. And so my grandma and grandpa got it for me. For, they didn't know what it was. They just, I asked for it for Christmas and they got it for me for Christmas. I was listening to it one day. I remember I was sitting in the living room in the chair and I was listening to it and there was a bad part on it. I considered it bad. I, I, I've heard the song since and I'm not quite sure what I thought, but, but I thought it was a bad part. I tell you what. I was miserable. I mean, just miserable. I, I remember, I, remember I, I endured it for a couple days, and finally I walked into the kitchen. I remember my mom was in the kitchen. She was boiling water on the stove. And I walked in, and I was like, Mom, this tape has a bad part. I don't know what to do. You know, Grandma and Grandpa gave it to me. I asked for it. I don't want to throw it away. It's like throwing away your Christmas present, you know? My mom was like, well, just don't listen to it. You know, I mean, she was, she was, it was like no big deal. But man... My alarm's just going off in my head, you know, and I was, just, and I remember what a relief that was to tell my mom, you know. A couple years later, it's probably like sixth grade, my conscience had almost taken a wrong turn, not not for the, like towards sin, but toward like an unhealthy view of righteousness. Because you see, if your conscience is not based on the Word of God, then then it can go wrong. And I had gotten to a place, probably in sixth grade, where I felt that they, they had to pray for everything. Everything. Like, I'm, I'm going up to bat and kickball. And, and if I forgot to pray, you know, I'd be on first base going, Oh, God, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't pray about kicking the ball. You know, I mean, it was everything. I mean, it was, it was compulsive, you know. 
That's not, that's not biblical, is it? Does, does the Bible say pray before you kick the ball and kick ball, you know? I mean, maybe if, like, you have, a, you have a habit of knocking people's heads off with the ball or, you know, or la- the last four times you slipped and got a concussion, then maybe you should pray. But, I, I mean, you see what I'm saying? That, that's like some rigid legalism. And so my conscience had kind of gone the wrong way. Well, seventh grade happened. By, by the way, there's people that, that deal with that. That's a serious thing. There are people that come into my office and are like, Pastor, I, I'm just so discouraged. I just feel so dirty. I feel so sinful. I just can't get rid of it. And I'm like, well, man, tell me about your spiritual life. And they'll say, well, I've trusted in Jesus. I've trusted in his cross and his blood to take away my sins. And, and I'm like, well, you know, are, are, you, are you praying? Well, yeah, man, I confess my sins and I repent of them. And I'm like, well, you know, are, are you dealing with your sin though? Are you, yeah, I'm, I, man, I'm, I've turned away from it. and I've embraced the word of God. I'm in an accountability. What's the problem here, you know? Jesus says you're forgiven. You see, you see, their conscience has gone wrong, and then it's not based on the Word of God. If a person is right in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, living for Him in faith, their conscience should affirm them. They should be at rest. They should be able to sing, it's well with my soul. Seventh grade, I switched schools. Got into kind of a rough crowd uh, with a group of wrestlers. And I began to live in sin. And at first, those alarms were going off big time. But I wanted so badly to fit in. I didn't have any friends. I'd moved to a different school. I wanted so badly to fit in that I just ignored those alarms. And I ignored them, and I ignored them, and I ignored them. Let me tell you where that leads. By my junior year of high school, I could... I could live in consistent, habitual sin and not feel bad about it. Now, when I say not feel bad about it, I knew it was wrong. Sometimes I'd even confess it to God. But there was nothing stirred up in me. I was able to do it day after day, week after week. You know what had happened in my life? I'd seared my conscience. Friends, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. The Word of God, the ministry of the church, the ministry of, of, of your Sunday school, the ministry of, of, of team kids, the ministry of your small group, is, is to speak the Word of God into your life so that you have a good conscience, so that, so that you repent of your sin and, 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 and you're in fellowship with God. And, and when you sin, you get pulled back in line quick so that you love God. And you love others. So Paul says that the aim of our charge, the, the goal of our ministry is love. We love God. We love others. How's that? Where's that come from? Well, that comes from, from a pure heart. A heart that's one thing. Passion for Jesus. Jesus is what I need. It comes from a good conscience. A conscience that's, that's tuned by the word of God. So that when I sin, man, it, it's right there to grab hold of me and inflict me until I get where I need to be. I get back in love and in line with God. And then the third thing, we don't have time, but is a sincere faith. You know what faith is. Faith is believing that Jesus is who he is and that he'll do what he said he'll do. It's embracing Christ to be everything we need. Folks, that, that's the goal of our ministry. That's what we're about. As you look at your life, if you're not growing in love, you're not growing. 
You say, oh man, pastor, but I, I know, I know all this stuff I didn't know. That's useless if you're not growing in love. So, oh, pastor, I figured out the secret code in the Old Testament. It tells about the end of the world. Big deal, man. It's going to end. Period. If you're not growing in love, what's happening in your life is not, is not what's supposed to be happening. Let's pray again. God, I, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for, for showing us very clearly what it means to love. God, you, you have loved us. Lord, we have experienced your love. You've, you've sacrificed. You've given to us. You've met our needs. You've died for us on the cross. Lord, you've loved us well. And we praise you for that. And Lord, we pray that we might be like you. That, that we might have an all-consuming passion for Jesus. And God, that we might live that out by loving others. That we might love you by by loving our small group and loving our, our our Sunday school class and loving our neighbor and loving our kids and our, our spouse and our family, our parents. God, help us. Help us to be people of love. And God, just sharpen our conscience. Lord, I, I'm so compelled by that. God, I, I want our consciences to work right. God, give us a good conscience. Lord, one that convicts us when we sin and one that affirms us. When we're, when we're in, in line with Jesus. Gives us rest when, we, when we're living by faith. God, I pray for that. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.